Well, our series over the course of these last, last week and the two more weeks ahead of us will be Love One. It's super simple. It's all about every person finding one person that they invest their life in for the course of about a year. Someone local, someone nearby, someone you interact with, someone you can uh, identify, someone you can begin to intercede for, someone you can begin to invest in, spend time with them, get to know them, someone you can invite to come to be a part of worship here at First Yearless. And then someone you can impart spiritual truth to. Really, the way to change the world is by people passing their faith on to someone that doesn't know Christ. And that's what our text is all about today. If you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn to John chapter 4 again? Last week, we looked at an overview of John 4, uh, a jet flight over, if you will, at a very, very important text and conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. Uh, this week, we're looking at John 4 again, except we're diving into some of the details of that conversation. From verses 7 all the way to verse 42 are incredible insights that the church of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, need to know about. Now, let me just tell you some reasons why this text is so very, very important. Last week, as we covered the overview, we said this about gospel conversations in general, that Jesus had a gospel characteristic, and that characteristic was he was both discipling and baptizing. He was both helping people who already had become followers of him to be discipled, grow to maturity. But he was also reaching out to brand new people who had never heard before. And this was one of those people, the woman at the well. We also saw a gospel conversation. Jesus had a conversation with this woman that came to the place of him introducing himself to her as the Messiah, which every one of us have had that introduction at some point. If we're followers of Jesus today, at some point, someone helped us be introduced to Jesus. And Jesus was doing this himself with the woman at the well. And that in turn uh, gave way to a gospel conversion. This woman literally converted from whatever else she was trusting in and put her faith and trust in Jesus from that day forward. We see the evidence of that in the text. And so then you have a gospel congregation because she went to the village that she was from and brought all the people out and said, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And that's where we're at. We're people like this woman that have been impacted by Jesus and we have the opportunity to go and tell a whole village those that are around us, about Christ. Now, we have a problem, though, that we need to solve today. This text solves it, and we solve this by looking at the text and understanding it today. And I want to share with you what the problem is. Here's the problem. The problem is, in the church of Jesus Christ, 98% of people have never led anyone to faith in Christ. In other words, a scant few of us have ongoing conversations, meaningful spiritual conversations with people outside the walls of the church. I'm not just talking about us here at First Jewish. I'm talking about all churches everywhere. One of the statistics in the Love One book or the One Focus book says that less than 12% even attempt to share Christ once a year. And less than one-tenth of one percent of believers across America share Christ regularly. Think about that with me. Less than one-tenth of one percent share Christ with people regularly. Now, this is the same group of people that have been impacted by Jesus, who have been forgiven by Jesus, who, who worship Jesus, who get excited to talk about Jesus. There are those of us in this room, when we hear the name of Jesus, chills go up our, our spine, chills go up our back because we're excited about what he's done for us. And yet, as a whole, the church does not share Jesus well. 
And that's why it's passion, a passion of my life, is for people to know how to share the gospel. That's what Can We Talk is all about. Telling people, helping people know how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not just an issue in one church, it's an issue all across America. And this text helps us know how we solve that by the amazing example of Jesus Christ. So stand with me as we read a very long portion of scripture today. John chapter four, beginning in verse seven. So I want you to kind of brace yourself because this is a long chapter, a long conversation, the, the lengthiest conversation recorded by Jesus with anybody else. The lengthiest conversation. It's amazing. He's not preaching from a mountain. He's doing a one-on-one. He's having a one-on-one conversation with this woman at the well. We learn about the background in chapter four, the first six verses. The Bible says that Jesus is wearied and he's sitting by the well about the sixth hour. Then verse seven picks up the story. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the water is deep. Where do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Love that line. The woman says, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've correctly said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, we're still here. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's a good one, isn't it? Amen. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the man, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, 
eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand for that great passage of Scripture. Wow. I don't apologize in any way for reading 100 verses to you this morning. We need more of the reading of the Word of God. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to us in a powerful way through this text. In, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated if you would. Everything in this text says love. It all says love. It doesn't just say that God so loved the world. It says that Jesus loved this woman at the well. That's why the title of the message is Love This One. Love This One. Because there's a woman at the well in every one of our lives, in a sense. There is someone in every one of our lives who's far from God, who doesn't know him, who doesn't know how to get to him, and God has allowed us to be in their vicinity. And so love this one. It's really the focus of this entire text and this entire conversation. We've encouraged you last week and we'll encourage you still more next week. And then in two weeks, we're going to ask you to identify and to actually write down on a card the person that you believe God has led you to focus on over the course of this next year. That's to do the five things that we talked about, five eyes. One is identify. Another is to intercede for them. Another is to invest in their lives, spend time with them. Another is to be able to uh, invite them, invite them to a worship service or a small group with you. And the last one is to impart the gospel to them. You know, I think that you know this, and, and I, I share this with you because uh, I'm personally very passionate about this, but I, I've seen things happen in, in the lives of believers when they learn how to share the gospel and they become confident to do that. I've seen them have a boldness and a courage they haven't had before. Can We Talk has helped us do that just a little bit. 750 of you have been equipped in Can We Talk uh, in this church, and that's allowed us to say, okay, we have a plan by which we can share the gospel, and while you may have been in training for six weeks, you have a lifetime of opportunity to do that. And I found that when people know what they want to talk about when it comes to spiritual things, they have much more courage, much more boldness to do that, and Jesus certainly knew what he was talking about. And this conversation is about that. Matter of fact, over the last three years, we've watched over, over 20 states area, one conversation has trained pastors and came we talk and it set them free and it's begun to set some of their people free. I believe this church is ripe for reaching hundreds of people because you know what to share and you have people around you that need to hear this message that you can share with them, the gospel. 
And so here's this message and this conversation that leads the way for us. Here's an amazing example. And if we just follow the example of the master, we're gonna, we're gonna have a good plan by which we interact with people. So I wanna call your attention to some things that this text shows us. We've looked at it from a 20,000 foot view. Now, let's get down in the conversation and find some principles by how we talk to people that eventually lead them to understand who Jesus is. I'm gonna give you three keys that I want you to remember. First of all, in the life of Jesus, we see the example that we can be an initiator in a conversation. Be an initiator. Verse seven picks it up. There came a woman of Samaria. And then the scripture says in verse seven, she came to draw water and Jesus spoke first to her. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. In that culture, in that time, it would not have been appropriate for the woman to speak to Jesus first. In fact, some would say that it was not appropriate for a man like Jesus to speak to the woman. But Jesus ignores whatever protocol was common in that day, and he initiates a conversation with a lonely woman at the well that led to her knowing salvation. And this is a, this is a scenario that happens every day with us. But it's often met with silence. We have people that are around us, people we interact with, people we do business with, go to school with, people that we are neighbors to and we remain silent. We have to initiate conversations with people before we can tell them about the Jesus that we know so well. And so I wanna say to you, speak up. Say those two words with me, speak up. Say it one more time, speak up. If you believe in someone, if you believe he's the Messiah, if you believe he is Lord, if you believe he has saved you and given you eternal life, speak up, speak up. Now, it's not that we wanna run over people with the gospel. Notice, Jesus had all the artillery, artillery to run over this woman. Verbally speaking, he knew everything about her religion, everything about God the Father. He came to reveal God the Father, but he walked very gently in this conversation with her so that she could come to the place of knowing but it all begins by being an initiator. Let me just tell you something about human nature that I learned a few weeks ago. I was very interested in this. I watched a TED talk given by a woman that had devoted her life to studying longevity and meaning in life. Anybody know what a TED talk is? Raise your hand if you know what a TED talk is. These five, five to 15 minute conversations that people who are leaders in their field give and uh, it can be on a variety of subjects and, and they very uh, articulately share what they've learned. And this woman was sharing about longevity and, and meaning in life. It was a great talk. And in this talk, she gave 10 reasons that people have long and full lives. And, um, and she showed it on a graph. And the first eight of those had very little impact on how long someone lives. And the last two that she shared had great impact on that graph, denoting how long people live and how healthy their life is. So let me give you that top 10 list. Number 10 is clean air. Clean air is good, it's good to have clean air, but it's not anywhere near the top. Number nine is hypertension being treated. If you treat your hypertension, you're probably gonna live longer and have a full life. I love this one, number eight. Lean versus overweight really doesn't have that much impact on how long you live or how happy you are. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> number seven, exercise. Exercise is number seven of the top 10. And it has some benefit, but it's not a key indicator for how long you live or how significant you feel your life is. Number six is cardio rehab. And that has some impact as well. Then number five, I was surprised by this. If you get the flu vaccine, you'll live longer and have a healthier life. 
Number four is those who quit boozing. This is exactly what she said. Those that quit boozing will live longer and have more significant life. And number three is those that quit smoking will have a healthier, longer life. I didn't make this up, okay? This woman said this. And then what was so surprising to all that listened to her and to me as well. Number two was close relationships. Those who have close relationships with people in their life that they can trust, who are loyal to them, they can be loyal to the other, have significantly more longevity and more meaning and significance in life. Those people are the ones that you would rescue if they were in trouble, they would rescue you. You would loan them money, need money, you would do anything for them if they needed those close relationships. But number one was most surprising to me. Number one was that people had daily social interaction face-to-face. Those who had daily social interaction face-to-face with others, that, ter- t- that tended to be the number one quality that allowed people to live longer and more full, healthier lives. Now, she made a note as she said that this does not mean texting. It does not mean email. It does not mean social media. It means face-to-face Amen. interaction with people that may not be close friends, but in everyday life. Now, I think tend to think about things through the grid of the Bible, and I thought about that, and I thought, you know, the Bible does say about man, when God created Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And all through the scripture is, is, is a very key point that we are made for relationships, first with God and then with each other. We're made for relationships. And the idea that it's important for us in terms of our longevity and fullness of life, to have daily interaction with people face-to-face where we look at someone eye-to-eye and communicate what's important to us and hear from them what's important to them. That's a vital part of healthy living. And for Jesus to have demonstrated that time and time and time again with people like the woman at the well or Zacchaeus or the rich young ruler or those Pharisees that he reprimanded, everyone else, it's an amazing picture for us. It's important for us as Christians to initiate conversations with other people because we were made to be able to talk and interact with people and influence people. I know sometimes it's difficult for us to do this. Sometimes we tend to be shy and not want to have those kinds of conversations of any kind. Sometimes we tend to keep to ourselves, but it's important for us to be intentional. Now, most of you know my story, and you know I'm hard of hearing. You know that I'm uh, 95% deaf, which means that it's very difficult for me to have conversations with people that I don't know and actually hear what they're saying. So I really have an excuse not to be intentional. But over the years, I've learned that it serves no good to be reclusive. It serves no good to be quiet. And I've also learned that, that even though I don't hear someone, I can still give them an answer no matter what they ask me. <laughs> and I do that frequently. And when they have a puzzled look on their face, I'll say, I'm sorry, what was the question again? I have every excuse to not be in intentional relationships, but I also am compelled by something more important than my comfort, and that is I have information that everybody needs to have. I still remember at the age of about 10 having this desire to share with my good friend Jackie kind of a playmate of mine when I was growing up. And I had a green Gideon Bible that I kept in my back pocket. And and I had a great example of my father who shared the gospel with anybody that would listen. And and I loved his example most of the time. But I wanted Jackie to know something about Jesus. And I prayed for Jackie and I dreamed about 
leaning on a hill near my house, a grass-covered hill after we'd played football and being able to pull my Bible out and share about Jesus with Jackie. And it actually happened just like I prayed. One day we got through playing football. Jackie was there by himself and, and I was there by myself after everyone else had left. And I said, Jackie, I want to talk to you about something. And we got down on that hill and I kind of leaned on that hill and I pulled my green Gideon New Testament out and I read to him John 3.16, the only verse I really knew well at the age of 10, John 3.16. We didn't have Bible drill when I was growing up, okay? So John 3, 16. And I shared that verse with him. I told him that Jesus had died on the cross for him, that I wanted him to have his sins forgiven and have eternal life. And Jackie said, I want to do that, but I need to ask my mom first. And he actually went home and asked his mom. They showed up in church the next Sunday. He gave his life to Jesus. My dad baptized Jackie that night. It was one of the highlights of my 10-year-old life. And I say that to you to let you know. Anybody can have a conversation with anybody else, even if they're young, even if they're deaf. It doesn't matter. You can have a conversation with anybody if you will be intentional. Jesus gave us an amazing example. Be intentional. It will always feel risky. It'll always take you out of your comfort zone. That's just the way it is. But there's a reward on the other side of that. Someone can hear about the hope that's in you. So be intentional. Number two, we, uh, we need to be interested, be interested. Well, number one is be an initiator. Number two is be interested, be interested in the person. We have an interesting conversation in verse 16 because in verse 16, Jesus gets into some of the details of our life. He began with talking about water and they went back and forth about the water. And then in verse 15, she says, give me this water. And in verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come here. And this is a sensitive moment in this woman's life and it's a sensitive issue in her life because this woman has been married five times and the man that she's with is not her husband and Jesus knew all this. He's the sovereign son of God. He knows everything about this woman and yet he still asks the question and shows great interest in the conversation. And she begins to open up to him and they began to talk just a little bit about something Jesus already knows. Now there's so much in here. I want to share just a few things about this idea of being interested. I noticed this about Jesus' interest in other people as well. And the conversation he had with the rich young ruler, he showed insight and interest into this young man's life. His conversation with Nicodemus, the same thing, interest and insight. With Zacchaeus, the little man that was up in the tree that, that, that was looking for Jesus, Jesus actually showed so much interest in Zacchaeus. He said, I'm going to invite myself to come to your house for dinner today. And he actually did that. I'm coming to your house today. You remember that? And so he goes to Zacchaeus' house, knowing everything about this guy, inviting himself over so he can have a conversation. Jesus was a master conversationalist with people that needed to know him. And I have some suggestions for us as we have conversations with people that are very, very simple. And some of those suggestions are so simple, you may be offended. So let me just say this. I have noticed that some Christians today don't smile about anything. So when you have conversations with people that you want to tell about Jesus, please smile when you talk to them. <laughs> Baptists are sometimes notorious for looking meaner than junkyard dogs and madder than them too. People are not often drawn to the frown. They're not often drawn to the scowl. Right, it's not your personality that will win someone to Jesus, but certainly it's your personality that will open up a conversation or close one down real quick. So it's important for us to be kind, to be generous, to be inquisitive. 
It's important for us to be friendly. It's important for us to show interest in their lives so that we ask questions and they answer those questions. It's important for us to be congenial so that we might have the ability to actually talk to them about things important to them. When I talk to people, and I talk to people all the time, I want to know something about their relationships and their family and their interests. It's not being nosy. It's being kind. People love talking about their lives. They love talking about their families. They enjoy talking about the pursuits that they have in their life. Talk to people. Be an initiator. Be interested in what they have to say. Someone said one time to me, don't you think it's disingenuous in some way? Don't you think it's somewhat inauthentic to have a conversation because all you really want to do is tell them about Jesus. And I say to them, all I really want to do is tell them about Jesus. Most of us have conversations. We have relationships with people because we want to get something from them. We want to sell something to them. We want to gain some benefit from that. This is a conversation where, where they get the benefit. It's so important for us to see it that way. Jesus was not there to get a donation from the woman. He was not there to receive anything from the woman. He was there to give the woman eternal life and eternal water. And that's what our example is. So be interested. Talk to them. I find it easy and a habit to talk to people on the airplane. When I have someone on an airplane seated next to me, I've got them for the next hour or two or three. Why not talk to them? Why not find out about them? Why not ask about what they're reading? Why not converse with them until you realize there's an open door to share about the hope that's in your life? If Jesus truly is a hope in your life and if that person is possibly lost and destined for hell apart from Christ, then why would you not want to have an interesting conversation to find out about them. I, I, I share on the airplane. I share with Uber drivers. I get in the front seat of a, of a car with an Uber driver, not the back seat, so I can look at them and find out what they say to me, so I can ask them questions. And rare, rare is the time when I don't share the gospel with someone on a plane or somebody in an Uber car driving me or with a neighbor. I want to know my neighbors not because they can barbecue well, I want to know them because I want to know if I can impact their lives in some way. My wife and I have been to a Muslim wedding, which is the first for us, because we befriended our next-door neighbors who are from Pakistan, practicing Muslims, and it was the most joyous wedding I believe I've ever really been in. I mean, it was wild. It was great. It wouldn't have worked for us to be frowning Baptists at that table with all those Muslims in the room. But we enjoyed ourselves. We interact, interacted with them. And, and when we're in their home later on, they're telling us about their grandkids and they're telling us about all the things that are going on in their life. We're building a relationship. We're intentional about that because we have something to share with them. Be interested in people's lives. And then be intentional. That's the third one. Be intentional. Jesus states the purpose in verse 34 that the disciples are not aware of. If you remember the story we read, the disciples have gone into town to get food. Someone suggested that maybe Jesus actually sent them into town to get food because they would be a distraction and might disapprove of his conversation with the woman. I don't know. We don't know the answer to that. Some say they went into town at Chick-fil-A to get some food so that they come feed everybody. It wasn't Sunday. We know that, all right? And so here's what Jesus says when they get back. They said, have somebody given him food? Is he not hungry? And here's what he says. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, lift up your eyes. See the fields that are white with harvest. And before that, in verse 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
Something more important than hunger drives me, Jesus says. Something more important than the next meal motivates me. I am intentional about sharing with people that God has placed in my path. And so I want to ask you a similar question. Why has God placed you where you are? Why do you live where you live? Why do you work where you work? Why do you go to school where you go and shop where you go? On the surface, there's the easy answer. We found a home we liked in the neighborhood we liked, or we liked the school, or because we liked to shop at this store. But deep down, there's a spiritual reason for everything in our life. There's a spiritual undercurrent going. It's called the sovereignty of God. And in God's sovereignty, you are near your neighbors for a reason. And I am near my neighbors for a reason. And we don't need to be confused or flummoxed or, or confounded about why we're in that area. God has placed us there for a reason, and the reason is people people. You're there just like Jesus was there for this woman. And if you initiate a conversation, if you're interested, if you're intentional, you may start with something simple like water, like he did. You may surprise people that you're talking to them, just like this woman was surprised. And you may be surprised by how open they are to you. You may have an extraordinary opportunity in front of you. You may be able to introduce them to the Messiah. You may see them come to faith. You may see amazing things, but you'll see nothing if you say nothing. You'll see nothing if you say nothing. If you're just another passenger on the train of a population just moving from life to death, and if you never pipe up about purpose and never speak about meaning and never have a conversation with someone, you'll never see God work in a supernatural way through your life with someone like that. And in this conversation, he's demonstrating incredible love. In fact, if you go back a page from John chapter 4 to John chapter 3, we know verse 16 where it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse. But verse 17 which follows that says something very powerful. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And, and I have to tell you today, Jesus could very easily have judged this woman and did not. I want you to notice this. Here's some keys about this conversation. Notice he makes no racial distinctions. She does. In verse 10 she says, how is it you speak to me? Since Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. Uh, in that day of racial strife, it was seen as unusual that Jesus would talk with her. In this day of racial strife, it does us well to love across racial lines like Jesus did, and it's powerful. Let Jesus lead you to cross barriers and any other barrier that's thrown at. Did you know that heaven is made up of people from every race? Did you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for every soul that's ever had life on planet Earth? You can have great conversations in life by talking with someone from a different background or from a different race and learning what they go through and learning how they feel about, about things. And it opens up the opportunity for you to talk just like Jesus talked with this woman. He made no racial distinction. He also makes no moral judgment. This is extremely important for us. Jesus was the perfect, sinless Son of God, this woman was at best immoral and loose. And he makes no moral distinctions as he's talking with her, no moral judgment. Notice the result of what he said didn't leave her angry or offended, but rather drawn to him. You speak with truth. 
You've had five husbands, so the husband you now have is not your husband. You just live with him. And she walked away saying, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You know something about my life. But she wasn't repulsed. She wasn't repelled. Did it ever occur to you that the sexual confusion that we have in our world today is to most the highest degree because people don't know the Christ who can sort it out for them, who can show them their purpose and as creator can show them what's truth and what's right, what's fulfilling and, and what is, is, is appropriate. And because people don't know Christ, they're confused about all kinds of things in life. It's important for us not to make moral judgments for people that don't know Jesus Christ. It's important for us to see everyone as the same, where they come from a, a, a heterosexual lifestyle or a homosexual lifestyle. They can be transsexuals. They can be anything in the world that they want to identify with. They still need Christ, and they still need us not to make a moral judgment against them, but to sense that they need Jesus in their life. We've got to get past this kind of thing so we can have conversations with people that may be hungry and desperate for Christ. And for some of us, some of us have members of our family who've chosen those kinds of lifestyles. We need to know how to not make moral judgment, but rather have conversations that would lead them to know Jesus and to know truth. So don't judge, don't look down on others, don't worry. Jesus gathered with tax gatherers and, and sinners so that he could share with them about life. We're so worried about being around someone that doesn't look like us, I'm afraid that it'll inhibit us from having conversations with people that need to hear it. I've told the story before of my wife and I uh, having neighbors across the street from us back uh, in, the, in, the, in the late 80s when we lived in Oklahoma. And this particular young couple across the street from us, we invited to dinner one night, and we'd hoped to build a relationship with them. We'd hoped to uh, have a gospel conversation at some point with them. And and so they wanted to eat at a certain restaurant that I knew was frequented by many of our church members. And it was a Friday night, if I remember correctly, and there was a crowd at that restaurant. But when we picked them up to take them to the restaurant, this woman was wearing the, uh, the, the, the deepest V-neck dress I've ever seen, really, out in public. It was very, very revealing. And you know what my main concern was? My main concern was, what will our church members think if they see me in a restaurant with this couple? And I was just praying that none of our church members would be there. And of course, they were all there that night, the whole congregation. <laughs> and we had to put that aside. We had to say, you know what's important here? What's important is that my wife and I can have an incredible conversation with someone that doesn't even think about those kinds of things yet. And that's what we try to do. We just have to get to the place where that conversation becomes more important than our comfort or our concern or our worries about what anybody else says or thinks. Think about all the things Jesus could have been worried about and was not in order to have this woman know him eventually as Lord and Savior. He makes no religious division. In fact, in verse 19 and 20, she brings up this argument about which mountain we should worship on. And Jesus said, in neither mountain. He begins to focus on the relationship. The Father is spirit, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. And she talks about the Messiah to come, and that's when he says, I who speak to you am he. He focuses on a relationship. Let me just say this to you. I've shared the gospel, and I've had gospel conversations with hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people over the years. I have never argued with anybody about religion that resulted in them coming to faith in Jesus, not once. 
We actually had Mormon missionaries coming over our house, my wife and I, for eight straight weeks. And we talked about all the aspects of Mormonism. And they did not, they did not come to faith in Jesus. We went back and forth and back and forth. At the end of that, we thought, you know, we have something to share with them. If they receive it, great. And if not, that's great. But only God can convert a person's heart to Jesus. And we have to come to that place. Jesus knew, knows this, and so he has a conversation with this woman, not about the, the backgrounds of religion, but about who is the Messiah. And finally, he leaves no confusion about salvation. I love verse 25 and verse 26, where the woman says, we know the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When that one comes, he'll declare all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. No confusion about salvation. You know, when I, when I look at this conversation, and I've read it so many times over the course of the last few weeks, I see the gospel embedded in every bit of it. For example, I see the character of God embedded in what he talks about. I see offensive sin embedded in what he says. He brings up an issue in her life. I see the sufficiency of Christ when he says, I who speak to you am he, the Messiah. I see first a response because at that moment, she had a choice to make. The Messiah is standing right in front of her, and it looks for all the evidence we have that she has put her faith and trust in him and goes back and tells everybody with, a, with an aspect of urgency that's there, that eternal urgency that says, come now, see a man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I mean, this woman is exhibiting more urgency than most people in the body of Christ ever have. And the evidence of her life being changing is in her conversation. That life transformation happened. Now she's leading the way. And she is so clearly convincing that the whole village leaves the village to come to the well to find this man that spoke to this woman at the well. An amazing picture of what happens if we will be an initiator, be interested, be intentional, and share Christ. When I read this passage, you applauded the text and the story alone because it's powerful. But what would that look like if that powerful story were to take place regularly in your life? What about that? Let me just tell you something. You can do this. You can do this. In fact, I'd say more. You should do this. You should do this. I'll even go even further. You're called to do this. You're called to this. You're called to the life-transforming kinds of conversation that only you as a true believer can have with people that God has placed you nearby, that nobody else can get to, that nobody else will have the opportunity to. But you can do this. You should do this. You, you will do this because Christ compels you to do it. Can you imagine the 3,000 active attenders in our church going out and over the course of the next year having these amazing conversations with people that are far from God? Because we can, because we should, because we're called to it. And being able to bring them back rejoicing, just like this woman came back rejoicing, saying, come see somebody that told me everything I ever did. I want you to bow for a moment. And I end your prayer today. I want you to determine whether you will follow the example of Jesus in conversing with people. It sounds really simple. In fact, it sounds almost too simple. But here's the thing. You'll have to get out of your comfort zone. You'll have to take a step of faith. You'll have to believe God's going to use you. 
But when you do, he will. He will. I want you to be thinking about the person that God has placed in your path and you're in their path. And I want you to identify them. I want you to spend a few moments doing that. In two weeks, I'm going to ask you to write that down on a card. So you will have clearly identified a person that you believe God has led you to. And as you identify them, I'll ask you that you would begin to intercede for them. Just do those two things right now. Identify. Intercede. You saw a video of someone that's led the way in that. Many have already identified someone. Many of you are prepared to have a gospel conversation with people. It's all in order. It's all lined up. It's all ready. It's waiting for you. Take the step. You can do this. You should do this. You're called to this. Let's do this together. Father, I pray for the identity of a person to come to each one of us today, every person in the room. Father, I pray that you will allow us to know who that might be. And then, Father, as we identify them, to begin to pray for them and begin to ask you to show us what our next step is. We have something so good to share. Father, help us to be faithful to your example in doing that. I ask this in Jesus' name.